0: I'm Kim Reynolds at Dogman.com with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund, and it's been a busy couple of days with the announcement Larry Scott stepping down, Coach Pete Kwiatkowski, the defensive coordinator, heading out. Lots of rumors about the transfer portal and basketball looked great last night against Colorado with a big win. But, um, you know, I kind of said a couple of weeks ago that I'd heard that there's something could be coming down with Larry you know, within the next month, and as of last night, that did happen. Their typical news dump, they do it at seven o'clock at night so it doesn't get as much traction. But I think it caught a lot of people off guard. What was your first reaction to the news, uh, Chris? Uh, not surprised.
1: Um, I mean, the timing was always gonna be weird because it had been in the kind of the ether for so long. I mean, they really I mean, he'd been a dead man walking for a long time, at least in my opinion. And in the opinion, of a lot of people that cover this conference. Um, so, yeah, so it felt like it was just going to be a matter of when. Um, so I guess you could probably say that the timing of it was interesting. But, uh, yeah, not surprised at all that they they put this out at seven o'clock at night on a, on a Wednesday night while everybody, you know, like we're in the middle of covering a basketball game and all of a sudden all hell breaks loose. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not surprised by the timing that way.
0: Right. Yeah. The thing that kind of, you know, had me hesitant a little bit is, you know, a really good source said he was going to be gone by the end of the month. And uh, the source also said, but, uh, you know, Larry's pretty damn resilient. And he seems like the Teflon guy where nothing seems to stick. So even though it looks like he could be gone within the month, she said nothing seems to stick to that guy. So um, it did indeed happen. And Scott, what was your initial reaction when you finally heard the news?
2: Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, we've been hearing it, and and because of what you've kind of told me about the dynamics of with the 80s the all basically saying they need this guy gone and um, getting in enough president's ears to say we need him gone, um, the fact that the Pac-12 has fallen to fifth of the Power Five, and if there was a room for a sixth spot of being a Power Five, <laughs> they would be on it right now. Um, just their bleeding talent out of this this conference. Some of that is on the schools, some of that is on decisions they've made personally, but I think Larry Scott is just the face of there's a lot of problems in this in this uh, conference right now and, and getting back To being a respectable conference and one that everybody has respect for is going to take a lot of things. And firing Larry Scott is the most public way of doing something like that. But there's a lot of things that need to change, and not all of it, not all that ails the Pac-12 was because of Larry Scott. He was the whipping boy, and to be honest, he probably deserved pretty much every bit of the – of the scorn that he received from a lot of people. But uh, no, that wasn't surprised. It was time to go. It's time for a change. And um, now it'll be interesting is to find out whether he, who they're going to hire because they really need to make a good hire here.
0: Well, it was interesting. And if uh, those of you don't follow John Canzano, um, with would down. Uh, he does a great job. He's got a couple of really good columns and he rips into Larry pretty good, but Larry and him have been kind of on uh, different ends of beliefs here uh for a couple of years and that relationship is i don't know if toxic is the right word but there's a lot of animosity there but a lot of what larry has been doing he's a harvard grad and it seems like he was trying to appeal to the harvard type people you know with the olympic sports and that seemed to get a lot more attention on the pac-12 network than those that fed the bills and i can promise you one thing that headquarters, downtown San Francisco, that uh, monolith down there, that showpiece, that's probably going to be the fir- one of the first things that's going to happen. That thing is just way too expensive. And I don't know if they'll move out of San Francisco, but I can guarantee you they're going to move out from the high-priced real estate that they have in downtown San Francisco. And then, you know, Chris, from my contacts that I've been talking to, is a couple of things need to be done. Not only do they need a new commissioner, but – two things have to be done. You need somebody to run the conference and then the TV deal that's coming up. And when you get somebody who has the skill set to run the conference, that's not going to be the skill set to get the TV deal done. And if you hire somebody to run the conference that has the ability to get the TV deal done, they probably don't have the tools in their toolbox to run the conference. So it'll be interesting to see if they are, you know, uh, what they do on that front, if they actually, you know, hire the commissioner and then outsource the TV deal or if they um, hire a commissioner and um, hire somebody to do the TV deal. So I think that's the main thing to keep an eye on for the next move because Larry sounds like he's going to be here through June.
1: Yeah, no, June, yeah, end of June, I think is when he's he's gone. And yeah, I mean, that was how he was able to, Justify his exorbitant salary was that he was saying he was the the president, CEO of uh, and commissioner of of two different things, two different entities, and you know it's garbage. I mean it's total garbage. I mean that the Pac-12 networks has never been a moneymaker, and and he's tried to justify its existence as a a non-moneymaker entity because of the Olympic sports and and their need to have some exposure, and that's all well and good, but he's talking out of both sides of his mouth because he's told the CEOs, the pact World CEOs and the and the chancellors and presidents, that it could make money. And it never did. So, you know, I, I know Canzano's talked about one of the things they could do would be to immediately try to sell the Pact World networks to a to a larger uh, media company like a an ESPN or Fox or whoever. Um, you know, the interesting kind of wrinkle in all this though is that it the, the media contract is coming up in the next couple of years. What you know how? Where do they see the Pac-12 Networks piece in all of that? Do they still want to have that as something that they can bargain with, a chip, as you will, you know, if, if you will, as part of this larger negotiating tactic, or would it be smarter to get rid of it now and then that way? Like you said, you know, you just you either offload it, have someone else take care of it, or you sell it off completely because you've seen. Over a decade, it, it's not going to be. It's not going to make money. You can obviously, if you sell it to someone else that has experience trying to make money with those types of networks and those types of media entities, best of luck. I hope you can get something out of it. Yeah. But um, you know, they might be. They might be smart to rid their rid their hands of it right now and and really focus hard hard on the football and men's basketball piece of this thing because they have to make a lot of money on this next contract.
0: Well, Chris, I think it's kind of interesting. You know, this isn't something that started with Larry Scott. You go back to when Tom Hansen was the longtime director of the conference. And I always said that, you know, Tom Hanson retired five years previous. He just forgot to tell anybody. And you probably remember the um, it was David Locke and Tom Hanson. I don't remember where it was, but David Locke did the interview with Tom Hanson, who had the reputation of not doing anything. It
1: was the and men's asked, tournament,
0: wasn't it? Men's basketball yeah, tournament? I think it at was. At Center? Yeah, but when he asked him his biggest accomplishments, because it was he was on fire, and he said his big biggest accomplishment was renewing the Rose Bowl contract. You know this, I, and I take a look at what Larry Scott's done, and what's his biggest accomplishment? Because you know there was a lot of talk that you know that renewing the Rose Bowl contract that could have been done by a snowman, and you know with the contract that Larry Scott did, could that have done been done with a contract? And what has Larry Scott really accomplished? So you know I. Th- this has been going on since before Larry Scott. That's why I think, you know, and Scott, you can chime in here too. I think that's one of the reasons that they need to get this right. They don't need, you know, bureaucrat, um, Ivy League appearance guy. They need somebody shrewd, um, and with the salary that they're probably going to be paying, I think they they can.
2: They absolutely need somebody who knows how knows the business world and knows how to get stuff done and how to use leverage and all that different stuff. I, this conference, I don't know how long Tom Hansen was in there, but was he in there for like 20 some odd years?
0: Long time.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, this for the better part of the last 30 years, this conference has been completely neglected and bled dry by the upper management in this conference. And you need to have somebody who's going to come in, who's going to let this, the schools do the work. Ba- basically, the best run businesses are the ones who don't micromanage, who let the people below them on you know at certain levels do their thing and just oversee things and make sure things are are humming along and getting out of the way and that's really what Larry Scott needed to do that's what Tom Hansen needs to do and that's who this new person whether it's a man or a woman I don't give a care but somebody's got to come in here and know how to negotiate know how to use the leverage what little leverage this this conference has they need to use it and max it out that they can get the best deal they can because this conference these schools are falling behind every year by millions and millions and millions of dollars to the other conferences especially the SEC and the Big 10 and it it is not getting any better anytime soon until something gets re, uh, a good negotiation and, and a good business person comes in here and does what they need to do. Well, one thing I, I would
1: add one thing I would add guys is that Um, And I think it was the Washington state president who said this is that, you know, basically the conference is like 12 kids. You know, they each have their own little issues and their own little idiosyncrasies and their own kind of identities. Um, You need to have someone who understands the lay of the land, someone who has a history of being around the area, who has a connection with with at least a, a number of the schools where they can you know, have boots on the ground, Spend time at each one of these programs to really identify what's going to help them the most. Um, that that to me is just as important. And yes, Chris, I think it's, I the think it's huge. Deal is number one.
0: Well, I think like it's that- huge because the biggest problem with Larry Scott is that Larry answered to the presidents and not the athletic directors, and the presidents of the university had very little to do with the athletic programs, and Larry didn't listen at all to the athletic directors at all. He had himself in his own little bubble where he was not only listening to his athletic directors, he wasn't listening to the people who worked with him. He had a crowd of about three or four people in an echo chamber, and those are the only people he worked with. And Scott, you've been in the corporate world. If the upper management, if your boss doesn't have an idea what the employees are doing and the people who are in the trenches every day, if he is absolutely clueless about how that works and not open to any input, it's not going to work. I mean, no, it's just not.
2: It just isn't. Yeah, you're right. And and I mean, I've worked at companies that are successful, and I've worked at companies that aren't. Um, and um, you know, the the micromanagement is the big thing. And Larry Scott, I don't know how much he micromanaged people, but it seemed like it seemed like he wouldn't let people do what they needed to do, and he wanted to get the credit. He wanted to get the credit for all the successes and none of the credit for any of the bad things that happened.
0: Yeah, out of touch. I mean, that's that's the word I could I, – and Chris, I, do you disagree with that? I mean, I think he was just absolutely 100% out of touch with what was really going on in the trenches with a lot of schools and in the conference.
1: Well, I think you you nailed it in terms of the structure and the way this thing was organized. He didn't need to be in touch as long as he had – you know he had the uh, backing of the presidents and the and the chancellors and the and the people that had hired him. He didn't have to worry about anything else.
0: Which didn't want it, to. Didn't it, it want
1: to. Kind of, but Kim, it kind of goes back to your initial question about the timing of the decision to to let him go or or to not renew his contract, however you want to term it. Um, you know I think it's a situation where you look at the twelve presidents and chancellors of the Pac-12, ten of them have been hired since he was hired there was only two presidents or chancellors that were here in you know in the structure currently that were there when he got hired
0: initially in 2000 what 10 2011 and one just recently retired the guy at oregon state
1: yeah so so basically what i'm saying is is that he didn't necessarily need to have a lot of support especially by you know you look at president Kause, for instance from washington there's no reason that she doesn't have any alliance to a guy like larry scott she could have been on the fire Larry bandwagon for quite a while. And for as far as I know, she could have been, but she's just only one voice in that room. Um, But yeah, it does lend itself to the idea now that you've got a whole new generation of presidents and chancellors that are on this now. And if you read the stories by John Canzano and John Wilner and and guys like that, you get the sense that um, they understand the gravity of the situation and understand kind of the, the, the real focal points and where they need to be addressed and, and where the emphasis needs to go. And obviously we've talked about the fact that, that not only does the new, the new commissioner need to understand the lay of the land, understand the business situation, understand where the, the pressure points need be, need to be for that media contract, but also the fact that, you know, the, the, the building in San Francisco isn't going to stand They're, They'll, they'll find another place to be a little bit more low key And and clearly the 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 salary of the new commissioner is not going to be anywhere close to what Larry Scott was being paid, because I do think ultimately there is going to be a a bifurcation or a splitting off of the Pac-12 networks from the Pac-12 proper.
0: All right. And each one of you, you only get one sentence. Just put it in one sentence and that's all you get. Those who mentioned Chris Peterson for commissioner of the Pac-12. Chris
1: uh you mean the idea of Chris Peterson as commissioner (laughs) yeah um no not not interested he he would not be
2: interested
0: yeah and Scott your one one sentence answer to those who bring up Chris Peterson
2: I've got three words no chance in hell I see four (laughs) no chance in hell
0: yeah and for those who don't know Chris Peterson's pretty happy with what he's doing now. He is just a totally different person. He's loving life. Still on payroll for the University of Washington, working with the Foster School of Business, and his leadership and mentorship program is highly desired by a lot of Fortune 500 company. He has no shortage of suitors, so... Uh, I don't think he wants to get back on the recruiting trail, but um, Pete Kwiatkowski took the job at Texas. Big uh, surprise to a lot of people. And he was on softy with KJR the other day as well. Just after a couple of days of reflecting back, Chris, just thoughts on Pete Kwiatkowski going to Texas.
1: Well, we did the emergency pod on, on the news. So, you know, it's, it, Nothing's really changed for me in that sense. I mean, once once the word came out and it was official and and everyone kind of knew um, how things were going to go. I, I did think it was obviously telling the the, the interview that he did with Softy. Is it um, the things where we had heard where maybe there was some unrest between him and 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 uh, Coach Lake or whoever you want to say within the program? You know, he just you know passed that off as total BS and and really just didn't didn't even speculate on it. it just said you know i don't know who people talk to but it just it wasn't that case so do we just we i guess we just leave it at that um in terms of just the the i thought it was interesting how open he was in the sense that if you take him at his word which i would you know just this idea of all it took was one call for him to get super interested in a a job like texas and i guess on the one hand yeah if 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 a program like texas comes calling and and, and you know what the situation is going to be the type of money you're going to be looking at um, perhaps the type of autonomy he might be get running the defense um, especially when you're in a situation now where you may not necessarily feel like you're you know you you're being looked at over your shoulder with a guy like Jimmy lake you do know that there's a history there with those guys being co-defensive coordinators and and the idea of too many cooks in the kitchen so to speak so if you, you know, if you get to be the guy going down to a place like Texas and getting a chance to start fresh um, in a city like Austin, uh, you know, you look back on it, it's like, yeah, I mean, why why wouldn't a guy like that listen to a phone call if someone's calling him and telling him, you know, you, you could
0: be the guy. They they really want you. And Scott, your perspective, just a couple of days removed from that announcement.
2: Well, I, I found it interesting. And Chris, you retweeted it. And I think I did, too. Um, the word that came out of uh, the meeting that uh, Sark had with the, was it the parents or the kids Um, from Texas? and Yeah, I
1: think it was the parents of the players. Yeah,
2: parents of the players. And he basically said Pete Kwiatkowski is the toughest defensive coordinator I ever faced off against, and now we have him. <clears throat> and so that should tell you something. He's he's a well-respected coach. It's a tough loss for Washington. And like I said on the emergency pod, this this hire is really going to tell the tale of what happens with Jimmy Lake in this in this program. I thought John Donovan was a was an interesting hire, and and it was something that could have told the tale uh, for Jimmy Lake's success here. But they also had Pete Kwiatkowski, and and they could always rely on on having a stellar defense. Now, granted, their defense was a little. Iffy last year. Um, part part of that was just due to the shortened season and all that different stuff, and some guys being out and whatever. But um, you know, Washington's defense was always going to be counted on to be one of the best units, in it, if not the conference, and or if not the entire country, then at least the conference. And um, you know, not not having him anymore is going to be a real test for Jimmy Lake. Who's he going to hire? Is he going to promote from within? Is he going to settle for a guy that maybe? Is an easy hire um, or is he going to go out and find somebody who he can mentor to be an up and coming guy who could possibly replace him at the University of Washington eventually or go out and become a head coach um, when he when he has success at the University of Washington. So it'll be real interesting to see which direction Jimmy Lake decides to go. I know there's a lot of pretty good candidates out there. We've gone through them. Chris put up a list. Um, but yeah, I, I think this hire is going to really tell us how long Jimmy Lake's going to be at the university of Washington. It could be a very short stay if he doesn't make the right hire.
0: Well, add something else to this. Uh, another piece of the uh, puzzle is, uh, this may not be the only change. Uh, Jimmy Lake inherited a coaching staff. He didn't hire it. Um, you know, will he make any more changes? Are there any more changes coming on the way? Is there guys that he would prefer, um, that he currently has on the staff. John Donovan pretty much inherited a staff he made one hire, but he inherited the staff. Will will John Donovan want to make any other changes? And when you hire a defensive coordinator, is the defensive coordinator going to want to come in and inherit the existing staff or will that defensive coordinator that they do indeed hire will he want to make changes? And then the other thing out there too is, you know, I I think that there's a chance that Jimmy could just Hire a defensive, you know, he could um, upgrade uh, Akaika Malloy to defensive coordinator, maybe bring in somebody else as a coordinator in name. But not all head coaches are hands off. There are a lot of head coaches out there in college football and in the NFL. You know, Pete Carroll, you know, Ken Norton may have the name of defensive coordinator, but that's Pete Carroll's defense. Uh, Andy Reid is the offensive coordinator at Kansas City no matter what anybody says. Sean McVay is the offensive coordinator for the LA Rams, no matter what anybody says. So does Jimmy Lake take that tact and just promote somebody within or bring in somebody else, but he's really running the defense? But again, Jimmy inherited a staff. He didn't hire a staff. Is he done? I think it's definitely something to keep an eye on.
1: I don't disagree in the sense that, you know, he might be struggling with that idea of trying to stay away and not kind of have his hands right in the middle of that defense. And maybe that was one of the sticking points with him and and PK. And, and maybe that's why one of the reasons why uh, Kwiatkowski was so uh, keen to maybe, you know, listen to what Texas had to offer. So, yeah, I mean, it might be one of those things where Jimmy's like, you know what, I just, I'm not comfortable not having my hands in the, in the middle of all this stuff. I need, to, I need to kind of get my hands dirty again, and, and that will make me be at my best if I'm involved with the defense that way. And so he he might just stick with guys like Akaika Malloy or Bob Gray. He might make them both co-defensive coordinators and go go for it that way and then hire, like, like Scott was saying, m- maybe hire an up-and-coming guy that they can groom to be a defensive coordinator down the road or even a future head coach you know, like a Gerald Alexander or a Dante Williams or a Court Dennison or somebody like that. Um, yeah totally he, he's got he's got open field to do whatever he wants with this hire yeah. which hopefully he's not only thinking in the short term but he's thinking long term as well because you know one of the reasons why Jimmy Lake was brought to Washington was because of his expertise and his ability to move up the ladder and Chris Peterson always showed a full-on willingness to allow him to have some upward mobility so I hope that Jimmy's kind of has the same um, kind of kind of worldview when it comes to those types of things
0: quick word from our sponsors and when we return we'll talk a little bit about what's going on with the transfer portal lots of rumors out there how's that working and also just briefly touch base on the big win for the basketball team last night when we return it's the guys from dogman.com on dogman radio Welcome back. It's the guys from dogman.com. I'm Kim Reynolds with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Scott, transfer portal seems to be a new thing that is going to be a big thing. And there's always going to be lots and lots of rumors, but uh, guys entering, guys coming out, uh, anything, anybody in particular that's in the transfer portal that you want to touch bases on?
2: Um, I mean, well, I mean, the, the the two big names that Washington fans are wondering about are Zach Charbonnet, uh, the running back from Michigan, and Henry To'o To'o, the linebacker from Tennessee. Both of those were West Coast guys. They were guys that Washington was in on all the way till the very end. Washington was probably the runner-up to both of them. Some people even have said that Washington was the school who actually got Henry To'o To'o, and uh, Tennessee, quote, unquote paid for him so whatever you want to believe in that situation washington was right in the mix for both of those guys all the way until the end and um zach uh charbonnet uh entered the portal what a monday i think it was or maybe it was over the weekend and toto went in uh either yesterday or early this morning whatever it was and both of those guys are ones i'm sure washington is going to the tires with but there's a lot that goes into getting transfers into the university of washington it's not just this easy thing where you just say oh well, we want him let's get him in there's got to be a lot of other things that go on with this so we'll just have to wait and see what happens with their transfers um i know washington is going to kick the tires and greg biggins has even said that washington and ucla are two schools he's pretty confident will be on the uh short list um i for uh uh, Charbonnet and then Henry Toto, who knows? I, I don't see Washington being able to wrap him up. I, I, I mean, uh, let's be honest. Do, you, do you? I, 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 say this because I did get to know Henry a little bit on the when it was the recruiting trail, and I always thought he was a good kid. But um, if indeed his family was paid money by Tennessee, which uh, there's re- really no proof of that, but do you really want a guy who's going to be led astray by something like that. I, I just, I don't know. I think there's going to be a lot of things that go into deciding what happens with this whole thing. I think Washington would like to get him in, but those are two pretty full rooms. Doesn't mean they shouldn't bring them in because they're talented guys, but those are full rooms and Washington is pretty much right at the number of 85. So, I don't know. I really don't know what to tell you guys on 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 what it is. We we've been making some calls and finding out what's going on, but Right now, I think Washington's just in the evaluating and figuring out what they want to do phase.
0: And just to add a little bit of context to the Tennessee situation, their coach and um, athletic director were fired with the recruiting allegations that are out there right now. And uh, all the, you know, uh, rumors that Toto may have been a part of that. So we're not just, you know, um, making stuff up or sour grapes or anything. It's out there, you know, and rumors of uh, cash in McDonald's bags. But uh, coaches were fired and an athletic director got resigned McDonald's over this. Yet.
2: I got McDonald's yesterday. I didn't get anything.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, Chris, and the other thing is you bring a guy like a, um, Charbonnet and You know, I think that when you're talking about the transfer portal, and I put this out on the board, you know, one of the 10 cu- tough questions, you know, that everybody refers to quite often is uh will he quit and uh a guy like uh charbonnet why is he quitting michigan you know because the first time is always the hardest the second time is easier and i know that he had a really really good relationship with keith bonifa but what does that do to a room what does that do to the team when you start bringing guys in like that um which I think a lot of schools are that because they're kind of mercenary type of schools and they'll take anybody. But um, is that what you want your program to head down that path?
1: Well, it, I mean, it's a good question, only in the sense that that Washington has really prided themselves on being in a situation where, you know, built for life and, and OKGs and all this stuff, for better or for worse. They've really locked in on it. And it's really become a, a core feature of not only Chris Peterson's tenure, but now Jimmy Lake's tenure they take that stuff extremely seriously and that that fit and that culture piece is huge for them and they don't want to find anybody out there that could disrupt that piece doesn't matter how good a player they are and that might upset some fans they might just say you know what we need we need the best players possible and it's up to you guys to make it all work and and some coaches work that way Chris Peterson and Jimmy Lake don't work that way they want guys that buy into exactly what they're doing. They want the guys that fit what they're doing the best. And I'm not saying Zach Charbonnet is not one of those guys because clearly he must have been one of those guys out of high school because they recruited the heck out of him. Now, has he changed or has the situation changed uh, in the last couple of years? Who knows? The other thing you have to really you have to put into context, Kim, is that we are still in the middle of a pandemic. So if he goes back and he stays closer to home, and, and it comes out that being close to home, being close to family during this time was a huge part of, of his reason to, to go home, so to speak, that you have to just say, you know what, I get it. Totally understandable. Makes a lot of sense. Now, if he ends up in Florida or something, then you have to go, okay. So there's there's something about this that we're not seeing or we're missing. Yeah.
0: So. And I, uh, and I had a conversation with a guy this morning, and he just says, you have no idea how miserable it is for these players. He says these guys from California – they're up here and they're in their dorm rooms. There's no activities that they get to do. The dorms are pretty much empty. You're in quarantine for a couple of weeks and there's no family. And then all of a sudden you go home for, a you know, it's miserable in Seattle with the weather right now. And then you go home for a couple of weeks and you're around home. And he's, you know, it's tough for these kids out there right now. And those have gone away to college and then they um, all of a sudden get a taste of home. It's so not easy out there. That's why that's why
1: this is the this is the biggest recruiting job for all the schools including Washington right now is to make sure they understand and and they really impress upon their current players that this is a temporary situation. And unfortunately, a temporary situation for them is like a matter of weeks. Now, maybe as adults we can go weeks and months and understand the longer term implications. But I remember when you're in college, a few weeks feels like a few months. It feels like forever. Um, so they, you know, the coaches, I, I don't envy them at all right now in terms of, of trying to keep these kids on the ball, keep them focused on what they need to be focused on right now. And that's where it's going to come not only from the coaches, but it's going to be coming from the upperclassmen, the seniors that decided to come back, guys like Kate Auten and Luke Wattenberg yep. and, and those guys. They really need to make sure that they keep this ship intact because, you know, if you start to see one or two or three of these guys go, how much of it is really because the program's in in disarray or how much of it is a factor of what you just mentioned, Kim, the fact that they're just they're they're homesick. They're sick and tired of covid. They're sick and tired of the pandemic. They're sick and tired of having to deal with it. They're sick and tired of not being able to see their family. You know, there's so many things going on with all this stuff. And that's why I say it's it's a real tenuous time right now, and and the, and the coaches and the and the upperclassmen in the program really have their work cut out for them to make sure they keep everybody going and 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 still headed in the in the right direction.
0: And I think one of the keys to Jimmy Lake being successful here is to create a culture, you know, and you know having that culture and sticking to it. When you have no culture and it's just all over the place, and you you know don't have standards and boundaries, and you're just all over the place. I think that leads to a lot of problems. You know, when Chris Peterson was here, he had a definite culture he was recruiting to. You know, and I hate to bring up Don James, but Don James had a culture he was recruiting to. And when you've got a program and your culture is just all over the board and, you know, you can stop and think about some of the other schools in this uh, conference and what what is their culture. And a lot of the time it's just that mercenary, just whatever. We just want the best players and it doesn't matter if they mix and match well, it's just – you know, but that's not what Washington's trying to do. Do you agree with that, Scott? Yes,
2: yes, I do. I I, I know that just completely grates on a certain segment of very vocal uh crazies out there, but it, it there is something to anybody and look, I've never coached, but I've been in those locker rooms. You do not want cancers in that locker room, you do not want kids who are um You know, don't care about the team, don't care about anybody but themselves. That is just not. You you might have one or two of those guys out of an eighty-five, hundred-man roster, but if you get a room full of that, you're, you're just you're you're dead in the water, no matter how talented those guys are, because the other guys that they're playing against are talented too. Now, maybe not to the same level. But if you have a team that works together versus a team that's more talented but doesn't work together, that team that works together is going to beat them 10 times out of 10. And Every coach will tell you that anybody who's played competitive sports to a certain degree will tell you that as well. Having prima donnas and having guys who are only out for their own thing and all that is not a a recipe for success. And that's what Washington uh, recruits to. That's what a lot of programs recruit to. And you can say it's all on the coaches to get it to work. Well, guess what, folks? This is how they get it to work. They make decisions on who they are going to take and who they're willing to take a risk on.
0: When you're talking about recruiting, talent isn't the only thing that's important, but fit is huge. And a lot of people don't take that into consideration, the fit. But, uh, hey, Chris, uh, last night, huge win for Mike Hopkins and staff uh, beating uh, University of Colorado, um, which is one of the better teams in the conference. They just looked like a completely different team.
1: Um, I don't know. I mean, they played basically the, the same type of game against UCLA. They just weren't able to finish it out and close it out at the end um this game they were able to come from behind they were down by four at half um were able to put together a nice second half um really had a a, a nice scoring effort um and uh yeah we're able to beat them 84 to 80 down the stretch i think a lot of it um sometimes it's really weird when you think about home court advantage in the era of the pandemic and you think it doesn't mean anything at all but i think the idea of uh, protecting their house and uh, and i think coach hop really does kind of instill the the ethic of You know, hey, you know, we got the best home home court advantage in the country, best fans, best student section with the dog pack. Um, That all matters to them. And I think that some of the things in terms of some of the lessons offensively and defensively are starting to stick now in terms of, yeah, I mean, they give up 80 points. Not great defensively, but they're they're staying around in terms of rebounding. You know, they got out rebounded by 15. I think the first time they played Colorado and last night it was only four was the difference. So that's huge. And then obviously they were able to 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 hold off uh, Colorado in terms of the three point shot. I mean they were 1 18. I mean that's that those are you know those are the kind of numbers that you would have put out if you're a Washington early in the season. So to get that kind of a reversal was absolutely huge for Washington. And and you know I tell you what ultimately when it comes down to it Kim, when shots start to fall you get confident, and yeah. that confidence is really starting to flow through this team right now.
0: And the thing that impressed me the most was, you know, they they got down early and uh, they got down by 10 and they clawed their way back and they finally took the lead. And then Colorado went on another run and went up by six. And every time it looked like Colorado might be able to stretch that out, they kicked and spit and clawed and they did everything necessary to get back in the game. And then they held on at the end, you know, with, uh, you know, Quad A could have put the game out of reach, Uh, you know, and he's shooting 90 percent from the free throw line. And A gets up there and he misses the front end of a one-on-one and, one and gives uh, Colorado a chance to get back in the game. And they get a three-point play and all of a sudden they're down only by three. And then uh, they foul uh, Marcus Sojonis, who just gets up there and calmly just drains two free throws to make it um, you know a five-point lead and put the game out of reach. But I think that's what impressed me the most is just... You know, it's easy to get your head down, especially the way the season's going and just kind of fold. And every time, you know, Colorado started to pull away a little bit, you know, it was like they, you know, Colorado would hit them in the mouth and Washington hit them back twice and get back in the game. So that's what was most impressive to me. So. Uh, again i'm still a big 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 believer in the secretaries at the pac-12 office make the schedules in football and basketball because the next game is going to compete right online with the nfl championship games on sunday instead of washington playing on saturday they're playing on sunday going head-to-head with the nfl was it was it a couple years ago that the basketball team had a game on super bowl sunday chris
1: oh i don't remember but i it wouldn't surprise me i'd I, I try to block out stuff like that typically because I'm, I'm usually pretty frustrated by those kinds of things, but yeah, no, it wouldn't shock me at all.
0: Yeah. Just sometimes, Ugh, but anyways, they have,
1: tunnel focus. they have their tunnel focus and they have their way of doing things. And if it, if it coincides with everything else that's going on out in life, well, that's, that's your guys' problem. That's not their problem.
0: All right, Scott, quickly just want to wrap this up. Cause I know Chris has got to get out of here. So just uh, anything, any final thoughts?
2: Uh, final thoughts. Good move for the Pac-12. Now let's see what they end up doing. We, we, the first step is out of the way. Larry Scott is gone. The Wicked Witch is dead. Now what happens? What happens with that power vacuum? I really want to see a good hire. Same with um, uh, Jimmy Lake. Real interested to see what how this uh, defensive coordinator uh, search goes, um, who he ends up hiring. Because one way or the other, he's bringing in an, a new assistant, whether it's a defensive coordinator or whether it's somebody to take over another spot. Um, on the team and so maybe he hires a special teams coach and takes over the o- dc duties himself i don't know so lots of different ways this could go but those are my two thoughts
0: all right quickly chris because i know you got to get out of here
1: yeah just uh, you know again i i think this was obviously a, a something that was coming sooner rather than later you you had tipped us off that it was probably going to happen by the end of the month so um wicked witch is dead And long live the Wicked Witch. (laughs) I mean, it's one of those things where this hire is going to be clearly the most consequential hire they've had since the Pac-12 started back in 2011. So uh, massive, massive things uh, on the horizon with the media deal. That's first and foremost. And I'll I'll be very curious to see if they go more in-house in terms of a Pac-12 name that people recognize, like a Condoleezza Rice or a Greg Byrne or someone like that, or if they go outside um the footprint and and try to go for someone with fresh ideas and 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 that kind of thing so uh it'll be very interesting times to see where they go
0: quick shout out to a good friend of mine mike denbrock he was the offensive coordinator at cincinnati who had a spectacular year and he had a job offer to go to vanderbilt it sounds like he turned that down and signed a contract extension down at uh, um Down at uh, Cincinnati and I got a text from somebody uh, that I know that you guys know pretty well and said, he'll be at USC next year. So, (laughs) how's mike like uh southern california so uh keep an eye on that luke fickle is going to be a hot commodity next year on the job market and mike denbrock's done an outstanding job back there with luke and uh just a reminder we're running a promotion real quick for those of you who aren't subscribers we'll get you through the next couple of months go ahead and subscribe the next two months we'll do it for a buck for only a dollar for full access to dogman.com and if you haven't been out to the site or you just read the headlines and you just read the front page, the good stuff is on the message boards. It's not on the front page. It's on the message boards. That's where all the good stuff is. So you are missing out. So anyways, from all of us from dogman.com, I'm Kim Grinolds along with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Go dogs. <laughs>